the name of the message is, and you guys will want to go listen to the Bible study from this morning too, because they're going to go together. I can't get off the Father. I know I, the last time I preached it was about the Father. Well, guess what? I'm going to talk about the Father again today. And I'll talk about the Father again probably next week and the week after that. And I'm going to wear you out with the Father, right? Because by the time I'm done, you'll see the Father. And then by the time I'm done and you see the Father, you know what will happen? You won't want me to stop talking about the Father. You'll want to be talking about the Father. And you'll be all over the place talking about the Father. Hallelujah. We'll just pray. Thank you, Father, for uh, emptying yourself, for pouring yourself out for us, for pouring out your Holy Spirit on us so that we could know you, so that we could see that you're with us, that you're, you're in our midst, loving our lives, that your hand is stretched out towards us, that your, your hand is filled with the comfort we need, that it's filled with the, the peace we need. Thank you, Lord, that you just poured your spirit out into the earth so that we could see you there giving us comfort, giving us peace, giving us the love, giving us the joy we long for. Thank you, Father, for opening our eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's the name of the message was blind, um, but now I see. I think we can get so caught up in, in our intellects. And listen, there's nothing wrong with having an intellect, right? So I'm not anti-intellectual. So before somebody says, that guy's just anti-intellectual. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes we can get so caught up in our intellectual rendering of the scriptures that we can forget they're relational, that everything in there is relational, right? That it, it, it's about a fellowship. The gospel is relational. The gospel is about a fellowship. And it's about a fellowship that's centered around sharing in one heart and one life with the Father. That's what it's about. And I think sometimes we can get up into individual verses with our technicalities and our technical mind. And we're real smart people, especially us theolo theological people, right? What do they call them? People of the cloth, right? We're so wise. We can get up into the verses and we can figure out the verses and we can see the nuances there and we can just pinpoint what we need to do. Right. And then we could preach what people need to do. And we completely lose sight that every scripture, every verse is built on the foundation of a relationship or a fellowship. It's speaking to a fellowship. It's speaking to a relationship between God and his children. Everything that we interpret from the Bible has to be centered around that. Right. As our good friend, Batterty Brits would say. Right. Family dynamics. Family dynamics. Right. So with that being said. I want to take some of these verses that we tend to read absent relationship and I want to connect them to uh, or bring out the spirit that is there, which is the image of the Father, right? So we'll take some verses that we tend to not think about relationship with. We tend to get singularly focused and look into ourselves and what we need to do, okay? And we'll, we'll take it from Romans chapter 6. Um, verse 12 and 13. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Yield yourselves unto God. Even just that phrase, I, I don't even want to move on from that. Do you know what it looks like to yield yourselves to God? Do you know you can't yield yourself unto somebody unless you first see them there? 
And not just that you see them there. You, what you have to see is you have to see that in the place of you being vulnerable, in the place of you being uh, naked, so to speak, in that place of being vulnerable, the only way you could yield yourselves to somebody is if you can see they possess no ability to harm your life. The only way you can give your life or yourself over into another's arms is if you think their heart is pure towards you. Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now, when you read those verses, are you thinking relationship or are you thinking about what you need to do? You see what I'm, you see how the intellect jumps in? Okay? Now, I, I say this a lot, and so bear with me if you've heard me say this a lot, and you're like, why is he saying that again? Well, there's a lot of people that never heard me before. That's why I'm saying it again. But we, we have a bad habit of picking out a couple of verses and not reading the whole context. Okay? So we read those verses there, and we're like, all right, we got to stop sin in our lives. And we now got to do the good and not do the bad. Right? And then we walk away taking that away from those verses. And then we judge ourselves by our own ability to do that. Not understanding how the yielding unto God even occurs. And not understanding the relationship that's at work here. And not understanding that it's any good thing that comes out of our life, it comes out of a relationship with God and God producing it in you. Any bad thing that you think that comes forth in your life, the reason why it comes forth is because there's some place in your life where you're confused about your relationship with God, which mostly means there's some place in your life where you don't think that he's pure towards you. There's some place in your life where you think that this guy isn't got your best interest at heart or there's some place in your life that you think he's failed you and so anything you don't like that you see born in your life any bad fruit you see in your life the reason why it would be there the only reason it could be there is because there's some confusion in your heart about God and who he is in your relationship with him that's the only reason why it could be there so we read those verses in chapter six and it's like that's it well good now we see what we need to do now we're going to go off and do it. And that's what you get in most churches. And, and I mean, in the body of Christ and the earth, that's what you get. Right? But if you continue reading in the letter to Romans, which the letter to Romans does not end after those verses. If you keep reading in the letter to the Romans, and Paul's putting out one big thought. I know it's hard because Paul is like a really smart guy. And he, his one verse is like, my goodness, that's what happens when you're trying to explain the spirit with human words. <laughs> you're like... You know, but if you continue reading in the letter to the Romans, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit leading us to the place where we cry out Abba. Meaning the Holy Spirit leads us to the place where we see Abba clearly. And out of seeing Abba clearly and all the confusion being removed from our hearts concerning our relationship with God, concerning his intentions towards us, concerning his heart towards us and what he thinks of us, even should he find us dead in sin, through the Holy Spirit clearing that up for us, what happens then is then we give ourselves over into the Father's arms. You know what it looks like giving yourself over into the Father's arms? What it looks like is when you need comfort, you find yourself looking to the Father. When you need peace, you find yourself looking to the Father. When you need joy, you find yourself looking to the Father. When you need love, you find yourself looking to the Father. And the reason why you would look to the Father for those things is because the Holy Spirit has come and showed you this guy's heart is pure towards you, even should he find you in the middle of your sin. 
That's the yielding. And Paul's building on the yielding. And he's building on the yielding by talking about the yielding occurs from the Holy Spirit adopting you. The Holy Spirit opening your eyes to you seeing Father there. And you seeing the goodness in his heart to you. You see his righteousness towards you. And so Paul, after verse, chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, he, he continues talking in Romans 8. He says that the Holy Spirit leads you to the place where your heart cries out, Abba. Where you see God there wanting to serve you. I mean, didn't Jesus serve the apostles? And didn't he do that in the gospel where he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Isn't that what he did it? And when Peter said, no, no, Lord, it's blasphemy for us to let you serve us. We're going to serve you. We're going to wash your feet. Jesus rebuked him. Paul continues in, in Romans 8 to say, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither tribulation, neither shipwreck, neither peril, neither sword, neither famine, neither nakedness, neither hunger, nothing in this world can separate us from the Father loving our lives. Now those things are deeply connected back to Romans 6. Verse 12 and 13, where he says, Let not sin reign in your mortal body, neither obey ye the, the lust of it, but yield yourselves. No longer yield yourselves as your members to unrighteousness and to sin, but to yield your members unto God. When he gets into the Holy Spirit, leads you to the place where you cry out, Abba, when he gets into nothing can separate us from the love of God, nothing could ever convince us ever again that we're in the earth without a shepherd shepherding our lives. When he gets into all those things, he's still talking about the power to be free from sin. He's still talking about what will set your life free from sin, being able to reign. And we completely remove the relationship part out of it. We remove Father from the power for sin to no longer reign in our lives. But isn't it Father that raised Jesus from the dead? So what is it that set Jesus free from sin reigning over his life? Was it himself or was it that he saw the Father and the Father came and raised him up and clothed him? You see how Jesus yielded himself unto the Father? And sin wasn't able to reign in his mortal body because he yielded himself unto the Father? And why did he yield himself unto the Father? Because he saw the Father there. And so when Paul talks about not letting sin reign in your mortal body, he's talking about seeing the Father. And the way that sin won't reign in your mortal body is for your image of the Father to be purified in your heart and for you to see the Father there with you clearly. And I don't mean you to see him there. Because if you don't know his heart accurately, you'll see him there, but you won't really know him. You know somebody by their heart, don't you? I mean, we all agree with that. What do, we, what do we say? Actions are louder than words. <laughs> I mean, Job said, well, I, I heard of you, but I never knew you. And so Paul's talking about knowing the Father when he, talks, when he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you would obey it in its lusts. Neither yield ye your members as servants unto unrighteousness, but yield yourselves as those alive unto God and unto righteousness. He's talking about knowing the Father. 
That's what he's talking about. Okay? So keeping that in mind, I just I want I keep saying this because I think people don't understand um, why the works of the flesh come out of their life. And I think because they don't understand how it happens, they condemn themselves. And I think they condemn themselves because they think, well, God's also condemning them, which means they don't see the Father accurately. Right? But I just want to explain how it is that sin reigns in our mortal bodies, what that actually looks like. And I do it a lot, but I, I want to keep doing it because we're still in a world where the church still doesn't even understand what it is for sin to reign in our mortal bodies or how sin gets it right to reign in our mortal bodies. As the church worldwide, we still don't even know those things and we're busy teaching people. And I feel like Jesus said, what's it to Nicodemus? Are ye a master of Israel and knowest not these things? How is it that you're teaching the people if you don't even understand this? And so we got a whole body of Christ in the earth busy teaching people, and they don't even understand these things. It's no wonder people suffering. In fact, I think the people in the church suffer more than the world sometimes. I'm sorry. And listen, man, it ought not be that way. It really ought not be that way. Right? The world doesn't know God. The world's not even thinking of God, so their suffering is just in themselves. But if you know God, and you're a believer, and you're still suffering, I don't mean like outwardly. I mean like in your heart. I promise you the voice of the devil is coming. Tell, are you really the child of God? Look at you. And so then the suffering becomes like jumped upon. Like you're being kicked while you're already down. It's worse for you almost than the people in the world. It ought not be that way. Listen, when I get pitchy, it's because I'm passionate for people to have life. And so you just have to forgive me. Every Sunday I lose my voice. So keeping the relationship part in mind, that Paul's actually talking about Father and nothing separating us from the love of God. Because that's what will prevent sin from reigning in your mortal body, is if you see nothing can separate you from God loving your life. That's what destroys the power of sin in your life. So keeping that in mind, what does it look like for sin to reign in our mortal bodies? What does it look like for sin to reign in our mortal bodies? Right? Does it reign because we're just bad people? Does it reign because we're like, you know, the devil? Is that how it gets it right to reign? Is that how it reigns? So, I want to try and say this slowly and methodically a couple of times. Reign speaks of lording over somebody. When you lord it over somebody, they're not a willing participant. <laughs> they're taken captive. Okay? You've come under the, the power. So sin lords it over people by taking their members captive. And I'm using that word members because that's the word used in the scriptures. Members is this, your hands, your body your life, your movements. So sin lords it over people by taking their members captive. And the way it takes your members captive is it sends you off to try to gather life to yourself. And when I talk about life to yourself, I'm talking about peace and love and joy. Sin lords it over us by taking us captive to our members captive, to us trying to gather peace and love and joy to ourselves through our own self-effort or through the things that are in the world. Right? Sin becomes like a taskmaster. You know, like Pharaoh? 
where it whips us up into a frenzy to try to build yourself a life that can be so beautiful in your own sight that it can serve you with comfort and peace and love and joy. That's how sin lords it over people. That's how it takes people captive. It takes people captive to trying to gather life to themselves through the strength in their own hand and through the things in the world. I grew up most of my life thinking there was something in the world that could give me peace. Is it just me? I grew up most of my life thinking there was something in the world that could cause me to feel loved. And if, you, if I just look at, it, at my own life as a personal example, for me, I grew up thinking if I could be accepted by people, that would give me love. And the reason why I grew up thinking that is because sin reigned in my mortal body. Or sin came to me and spoke to me. And I'm an intense guy. I don't know if you realize it. And so I'm just walking around innocently. Little Greg, I was like this always. But you know what? I didn't always think there was something wrong with it. And so I was confronted one day with, that's not as it ought to be. It's too much for the other people, the other kids. It causes them pain. So immediately in my mind, I felt I'm not loved. And I'm not loved because these people don't accept me. But if I can get them to accept me, then I'll, be, I'll find the love that I need. And then you start doing all sorts of things to get people to accept you. That's trying to gather love to yourself by the strength in your own hand. That's what it looks like. That's how sin reigns over you. Now, when you try to gather love to yourself by the strength of your own hand, do you know what comes forth? It ain't love. <laughs> you don't feel loved. Do you know what comes forth out of your mortal body when you try to enlist your own members to gather peace and love and joy to yourself? Do you know what comes forth? The works of the flesh are the fruit of death. I remember another time in my life when I, I suffered something very traumatic in my life. And I was convinced that God wasn't there because of what happened. Because my whole life as a child, I really believed God was there. God's there. And I felt like I could do anything. I'm invincible. God's here. And he was there. And it was true. And you know, I did magnificent feats because I really believed God was there. Nothing could stop me. I did mighty exploits because I really believed God was there. Well, I got injured in the midst of being mighty because God's with me. And I was so young that the enemy was able to come to me and say, God was never with you. It was never him. You were always alone. It was only you. Listen, that messed me up. Because I knew that I knew, right? And now all of a sudden, I didn't know. And there was compelling evidence that he was able to give me to tell me God wasn't there. There was compelling evidence because how could this happen to me if God's really here? And so it makes sense to me, right? I mean, it makes sense to us when something bad happens. It makes sense to us that that must mean God's not there. That's not the truth, but it makes sense to us. Now listen, that thought that God wasn't with me and that this trauma is what happened to me, that filled me with fear. 
because my whole power, the whole, all the power and strength behind my life was that God was with me. Well, now all of a sudden he ain't there no more. So now I'm just going through life all alone by myself. That filled me with fear. It filled me with the torment. And I tried for a long time to get rid of the torment or to let the torment leave. It never did. And so then sin was able to reign in my mortal body. You know how it was able to reign in my mortal body? It took me captive to me trying to serve myself with peace. Because you can only sit in anxiety for so long. And if you don't know God, you can only sit there for so long before you're going to enlist your own members to try to gather peace to yourself. You're only going to sit there so long before you try to put your hand to the millstone in order to build yourself a life that when you look at your life, you could think, okay, my life is very good. And then, okay, now that's serving me with peace. You know what the fruit was of me enlisting my own strength to try to gather peace to myself? Because you don't have the ability to gather peace to yourself. Do you know what the result was? Drug addiction. Because when this Paul said the body is dead because of sin. When you try to enlist a body that's dead to produce a life or to produce life, do you know what's coming forth out of that body that's dead because of sin? Death. You know what happened when I enlisted these members, my own hand to try to gather peace to myself, when there's not life or peace in myself to bring forth? Do you know what came forth? Drug addiction. That's how I gathered peace to myself. I'm going to get high. And I'm going to get so high that I don't feel uncomfortable ever again. I'm going to get so high that I never feel afraid again. I'm going to get so high that I just feel numb. And we even played songs. One of them was called Comfortably Numb. Pink Floyd. I know every lyric to every Pink Floyd song. I could quote every single one to you right now. They got like 13 albums. You think I'm joking? I ain't joking. Because in the middle of my fear, in the middle of my uncomfortableness, not seeing God there with me, sin was able to reign in my mortal body, meaning it was able to take me captive to laboring to try to gather life to myself. You'll even try to rationalize the darkness like the darkness is good. Because you'll try to make yourself feel peaceful about the darkness that your heart knows isn't good. I mean, I took on the mantra of melancholy and the infinite sadness. It's good to be filled with darkness. Look at all the beautiful things I do when I'm filled with darkness. I can paint real good when I'm filled with darkness. I can write great poetry when I'm filled with darkness. That's you trying to serve yourself peace again. You know what came forth out of that? More darkness. Do you guys get an idea of what it looks like for sin to reign in your mortal body? Right? We tend to not look at the root. We look at what comes out after. And then we see the fruit that comes out after, and we, we condemn ourselves. We think, I'm just a bad boy. I'm just a bad girl. No one loves me. I'm not lovable. Who could love me? We don't see the father there. We don't see that. It, I don't care what you think you could do. The father's heart is pure towards you. Do you know when Paul encountered the father? We, we, we say he encountered Jesus, but Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? And so he did encounter Jesus, but he encountered the Father. Do you know when Paul encountered the Father on the road to Damascus, he had just orchestrated the stoning of Stephen, who was a man filled with the Holy Ghost. 
who was out there telling people about the love of God. And so Paul encountered the father after having Stephen stoned. And the father's heart was still pure towards him. And someone just posted it. We talked about this before, but Paul, Saul goes blind. Do you know why Saul goes blind? Because his image of the father wasn't accurate. And so he was blind. And when the father stood there in front of him, listen, all things are laid bare in the presence of the father. And so Paul was actually blind. He couldn't see God for who he was. He didn't see God's heart was pure towards all people. He didn't see God's heart was to serve people with life. He didn't see the father does work. And so he was blind. And when he stood in the presence of the Father, his blindness came out. But his blindness was revealed in order for God to heal it. So that he could see. I don't care what you think you could do or what you think you've done in the place of being blind and not seeing the Father with you. The Father's heart is still pure towards you. He's still looking at you loving your life. He's not confusing you with what you've done. He understands what happens to you. He doesn't look at what you've done and judge you by what you've done. He looks at what's come forth out of you, and he says the reason why sin is reigning in my children's body is because they don't see me. So he's not busy thinking about condemning you. He's not busy thinking about tearing you down because of what's come out of you or because of what you've done. He's busy thinking, i got to get it right to reveal myself to them. They just need to see me. Because if they could see me there with them, then sin would not be able to take them captive to trying to gather peace to themselves. Because if they could see me there with them, they would see my hand held out open to them. And they would see the peace and the comfort and the love and the joy they want in my hand. And they would see me giving it to them as a gift. And their flesh would be put to rest. Their body would be mortified. Does that make sense? You guys understanding that? I don't normally like sharing personal testimonies because I often think, who cares who I am? I didn't die on the cross for you. But what I've started to realize is that there's a testimony of God, right? My life is a testimony about God and what God has done in me and where I came from when I was blind and where I am now because my sight has been healed. And it fits in specifically with these verses about let not sin reign in your mortal body. So how does sin get it right to do that? Right? I'm one of these strange kind of guys. Like, I need to understand. Right? <laughs> Don't just tell me it can't rain no more. I need to know how it was able to get in there. How did it get in the house? I mean, if you find a mouse in the attic, I mean, we had rats in the attic not too long ago. My goodness, you hear them in the walls. So, you know, like we dealt with the rats and we got the rats out of there. But after we got the rats out of there, I wasn't just like, okay, great, the rats are gone. Do you know what I was like? How did they get in there? Do you see what I'm saying? Because I'm not, hey, fool me once. What is it? Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. So, I'm, no, no, no. If sin was able to reign in my mortal body, and it was able to take me captive. And it was able to cause me to try to gather peace to myself. I want to know how it did that. So that when it comes the next time, I see you. I know the voice of the stranger. And my heart become hardened to the voice of sin. Right? So I've said this a million times. I'm going to keep saying it a million times. I have a problem in myself, in insecurity. Sometimes I feel like, well, if I've already said it, I don't need to say it no more. 
But you know what? You can never say the truth too many times. You can never hear the truth too many times. You can never fellowship with the truth too many times. God himself is the truth, and he's all the time fellowshipping around the truth. <laughs> I mean, Jesus is God in the flesh, and when he was God in the flesh in the earth, he was fellowshipping with the truth, talking about the truth, sharing in the truth, preaching the truth. Do you think Jesus ever thought, well, I've already said that? In fact, God poured out his Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, so that it could dwell in the earth and dwell in us. And do you know what it would do all the time? Declare the truth to us all the time. Peter said, I cease not to stir you up by way of reminding you of this truth. So how does sin get it right to do that? It gets it right to put people in bondage by blinding them to the presence of God. It blinds you. You don't see God there with you. You think you're all alone, like I said, all alone in the cold, heartless, little world. I just want to be loved. Is that so wrong? And God's not here to love me. You're blind. And so that's how sin takes you captive. It blinds you to the presence of God. And the scripture would say sin found an opportunity to produce death in the earth and death in our bodies by the disobedience of Adam. And once that death got it right to enter the earth, it filled the earth with darkness. You ever try to see anything in darkness? You don't see real good. You know, like I, I drink a big thing of water every night before I go to bed. You know what happens in the middle of the night? You got to get up and go to the bathroom. Well, guess what? It's dark in there. Do you know what I do? I smash into the bed every night. I smash into the corner of the door every night. Like you're walking, you think you're good, you know, and like your shoulder gets taken out. And you're like, man, or you stub your foot, you kick your toe. Boy, just you catch the edge of your toe. Oh, man. Yeah, you see the father there comforting you. <laughs> you ever notice when you get hurt when you're a little kid, you ran into the arms of who? Your father. Why did you run into the arms of your father? Because you knew the comfort you needed in your affliction was in him. No one had to tell you. You saw him there, and you came. It's the same dynamic with God. So death got it right, sin got it right to produce death in the earth by the disobedience of one man, one man, Adam. And that death blinded us to the goodness in God's heart towards our life. We couldn't see God was with us to comfort us. We couldn't see him anymore. We weren't coming to run towards him. All we could see is our affliction. Do you know what happens to a little child that falls off their bike and slices up their legs and their knees? If they don't think someone's there, they just sit there and cry. They're not running to anybody. And so all we saw was our affliction. We were blind by the affliction that was in the earth. And our minds became filled with the affliction. The deadness that was in our bodies became lifted up in our sight. And sin began speaking to us through the deadness we saw all around us. And sin began telling you. It began telling me, this affliction that you see in your life, this hurt you feel, this trauma that's happened to you, it's a sign that God ain't here. Just like I thought when I got injured. This injury, this trauma, it's a sign God ain't here. If you t listen to my mom's testimony, all that hell they did to her, all that abuse they did to her, do you know what they kept telling her? This is the proof God isn't here. This is the proof God doesn't care. This is the proof he doesn't love those people and that he doesn't love you. That's, that's what sin does. 
It blinded us to the beauty in the Father's heart towards us. Even today, do you know what most Christians really struggle to believe? Not us in this church, but when I go out into the world, do you know what they struggle to believe? It's like an afterthought to me now, that God actually loves them. That God actually isn't judging them for their bad behavior or the things that they do. They struggle to grab a hold of that. They struggle. I mean, we tell each other we have to love each other unconditionally, but God doesn't love us unconditionally. And all the while, we don't think, why does it? That doesn't make sense. If you listen to Brock and Kylie's podcast, man, I've been racking my brain trying to remember what they said, but they said something powerful about uh, Christ and what came out of Christ and how we never stop and think, well, how could that come out of Christ if it didn't first come out of the Father? And, and it goes along the lines of Jesus didn't forsake the people that were nailing him to a tree. He loved them and prayed for them. He blessed them, even though they were despitefully using him. Well, Jesus said, have you seen me? You've seen the Father. And so we see Jesus not forsaking the people, nailing him to a tree, but then we come and say the Father forsook him. How do we think Jesus got it right not to forsake the people, nailing him to the tree? He first saw that the Father doth not forsake. So that's what sin did. It blinded us. We couldn't see God with us. We couldn't see he was in our midst. We couldn't see his hand stretched forth towards us. You know like that Michelangelo painting where the hand is stretched forth to the baby's hand? That's God's hand stretched forth towards us. Sin used the death, the trauma, and it convinced us God wasn't in our midst. He's not stretching forth his hand towards us. He's not there to give us comfort. He's not there to give us rest. He's not there to give us peace. He's not there to be the Father. If you don't see that the Father does work, like Jesus saw, if you don't see God with you to give you those things freely, what will happen is you will spend all your days working to gather those things to yourself. You will. It's not because you're a bad person. It's because you were created for comfort. And in the day you don't find comfort, you're going to go after it yourself. In the day you don't see God with you to comfort you, you listen, you're gonna, you need comfort. You were not created to be afflicted, to be filled with anxiety. You guys following that? Paul says in Romans 7, all, all these things are the same thing. Paul's describing this dynamic in Romans 7. Who shall save me from this body of death? Who shall save me from this body of death? You know why you, I mean, Paul is talking figuratively and he's explaining life and he's explaining his life and Adam's life and every human being's life. Well, you know, the only reason why you say who shall save me from this body of death is because you don't see somebody there to save you from this body of death. <laughs> I promise you, you don't say, oh, wretched man I am if you see the father there to save you from your body of death. And so Paul's describing a dynamic in his life where there was a time where he didn't see the Father there with him. That's why he became blind when he encountered the glorified man Jesus on the road to Damascus. Who shall save me from this body of death? I see the fruit of God's life. I see peace. I see love. I see joy. I see comfort. I see strength. And man, those things look real nice. They look like a Christmas present I wish was under my Christmas tree. They look like a present I want to unwrap. They look like they're meant for me. So I see those things there. I agree that they're good. I desire them. We all agree peace is good. Does anybody think peace is not good? We all think peace is good. Do you know how we know? We don't like it when we don't think we have it. <laughs> how many of you are like, oh, hallelujah, when you're in the middle of feeling anxiety? Nobody. 
And everybody is trying to think of, how can I get free from this? And so Paul saw the fruit of God's life. He says, I desire it. But because I don't see God with me to clothe me in the life I say is good, sin is reigning in my mortal body. I obeyed it in its lust. I was filled with covetousness because I couldn't see God with me to clothe me with the life that I say is good. What happened is I showed the strength in my own hand to try and gather peace and love and joy to myself. And the more I tried to gather peace to myself, the more I tried to clothe myself, the more I tried to decorate myself in the love and the joy of God, the more I tried to comfort myself with life, the more I saw the fruit of death manifesting in me. That's why he goes on to say, oh, wretched man that I am. I mean, when we feel pain, we feel like a wretch, right? You know, last night, I don't even, man, my, you guys have to forgive me. I'm so scatterbrained. I'm not going to get through this. I don't even know what I said, but I said a bunch of stuff I wasn't intending to say. And I'm not going to make you stay here your whole life. But I got like two hours of sleep last night. And I got like two hours of sleep last night because I was in significant pain all night. Like, like, and I got a, I got a high pain tolerance, but the kind of pain where you're just like, you try and get into a fetal position so you don't feel it no more. Listen, when you feel pain like that, do you know what you feel? Oh, wretched man that I am. Let me die now, Lord. Seriously, that's how you feel, right? Do you know what's funny in the midst of all that pain? It's like I've been talking about this stuff for years now in different ways, in different avenues. And it's like this morning, or last night, man, when I was putting this together, when I was grouped up in that pain, there was something else that happened inside of me instead of, oh, wretched man that I am. When I was in the midst of all that pain, do you know what my first thought was? Abba! And I was like, whoa. And I started connecting with God and that God's with me. And I started seeing God there. And then what happens is God, and I'm, I'm using imagery, guys, right? God comes strutting out. And God comes and stands next to the pain. And all of a sudden, the pain is like, whoop! And next thing you know, the pain is gone. Because discomfort cannot abide the presence of the Father. Because His presence is comfort. Discomfort cannot abide the presence of life. Life comforts the body. It comforts the heart. It comforts the soul. And in that place of pain and in that place of discomfort, man, all I needed, I mean, you want the pain to go. Don't, don't misunderstand me. It did go. And that's why I got two hours of sleep. But in that place, all of a sudden, my mind became caught up in, Abba. And I realized it wasn't an intellectual exercise. I didn't have a sticky on the door that said, the next time you're in pain, cry out Abba. That's how we used to do it in the old days, right? You find something that's true and it's good and you got to stick it on there so you can work it. I'm not trying to tell you to work something. I'm trying to declare Father to you. Father is in you. And I'm calling out that which is already in you and bringing it out and putting it in your face. Because what happens is, is the more you see it, the more your eyes get put on it, the more it starts coming forth out of you, the more you naturally see Abba. You know, there's even studies in the world. We do studies in the world that talk about the negative effects that happen to a child in a child's life if they don't have a father. Or if they think their father or their father was abusive. There's lots of psychology studies. There are lots of other studies in the world that we do 
and we say the effect that it has on a person, should they not have their father present or their father absent or their father was abusive? It, the effects of that can be very destructive in their life. That's how sin gets it right to reign in your mortal body. It convinces you you don't have a father. It convinces you your father's absent. And if you know too enough to know God's there, it convinces you God's abusive. <laughs> and so the whole ministry of God, God's got a ministry. The whole ministry of Jesus. The whole ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's the ministry to reveal the Father to you. And not just that there is a Father, but the purity in the Father's heart towards your life. So that you're not living in the earth thinking you don't have a father. You're not living in the earth thinking your father's abusive. And so the next time you're in the midst of affliction, and affliction's trying to tell you you don't have a father, the father isn't there with you, you'll find your heart hardened to the voice of sin, the voice that sin speaks to you through the death in the world. And what you'll find is you see the father right there. Abba, into your hands I commit my life. Right? You start looking to the Father. You see His hand. And you're like, wow. Man, there's comfort in there. There's peace. There's joy. There's love. And you're like, do you know that's what I've been wanting? And it's all right there in His hand. And oh my goodness, His hand is stretched out towards me. And He's giving it to me freely. He's not asking anything from me. He's not even bringing up all the destruction that's come out of me. He's not even judging me for where I've been. He's not, why do you condemn a person for being blind? If you see a blind person walk into the wall, are you condemning them in your heart? Or are you thinking, I understand how that could happen. They're blind. Sight. The world calls the world tries to put some hocus pocus on it. Second sight. And I got second sight. I got amazing powers of observation. And that is how I know. That's the Pink Floyd song. To adopt that and take it back from the world. It's like you see God there with you. Amazing powers of observation. The Holy Spirit comes to give you amazing powers of observation that even in the midst of the darkness of this world, even in the midst of the hopelessness that's in this world, even in the midst of the hurt and the trauma that's happened to your life, you have amazing powers of observation. You see God there with you. That's it. And that's how you get a sound mind. You see God there. Fear is removed in the presence of a God that can't die. In the presence of a God that has a life that overcomes even the death of the cross. A sound mind will come. So guys, when Paul says, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. What he's saying is, don't let sin point at the pain and the hurt and the discomfort and the tribulation and the death you see all around you. Don't let sin point at those things and use those things to convince you that you're all alone and that God isn't there with you. As the Apostle Paul would later come and say, 
Or in another book, I say later, but I think he wrote Corinthians before Romans. It's just not that way in the Bible, I don't think. Is Corinthians before Romans? It is, huh? It is that way in the Bible. As Paul says in Corinthians, bear about in your body the death of the Lord Jesus. He goes on to say that his life also might be made manifest in you. And what he's getting at when he talks about bear about in your body the death of the Lord Jesus, he's not talking about bear about in your body the suffering of Jesus, although you will, you will experience tribulation in this world. He's talking about let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. When he was suffering and hurting on the cross, he didn't obey sin and its lusts because his heart was hardened to the voice of sin. He saw the Father was there with him in the midst of the cross, stretching forth his hand towards him to comfort him and to fill him with peace peace and joy. That's why he cried out, Abba. That's what it means to bear about in your body the death of the Lord Jesus. Jesus didn't try and come down off the cross. The reason why he even died on the cross is because his flesh was put to rest on the cross. Well, how was his flesh put to rest? Sin was not able to reign in his mortal body even when he was dying on the cross. Why wasn't it able to reign? He saw the Father there. He saw the Father doth work. So why do I need to work to save myself from this death? Why do I need to work to gather comfort and peace to myself? I see Abba. I see his hand. I see there's comfort in his hand. I see there's love in his eyes. I see there's peace and I see his hand is stretched forth towards me to give it to me freely. Bear about the rest of the Lord Jesus in your body knowing that the Father is with you. Seeing that his hand is stretched forth towards you to serve you with comfort. And you can even begin with the simple thing. A simple prayer. Father, I don't see you I don't know how to see you. I want to see you. Father, I know you have comfort. I don't know how to receive it. I don't know how to get it, but I know it's in you. Start with there. Start in the place of confusion if that's where you're at. It's intimacy with God. Intimacy with God equals abundance. You don't come and connect with God when the times are good only. Yeah, we rejoice with God when times are good because we think we want to share it with somebody. And because we see God with us and we see God as our friend, you want to share your good times with your friend. But intimacy with God does not just look like when the times are good, when the times are bad, when you're confused, when you don't know, when you're hurt. Listen, man, get that out of you with God. And that's intimacy with God. You're connecting with God. And do you know what's going to come forth out of that? He's going to plop his heart out towards you. And what's going to happen from that place is abundance will be born. The abundant life. Isn't that what the psalmist says in Psalm 22? The, Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I do not lack. He prepares a table for me. In the midst of my enemies. Sounds like he sees the Father there with him, doesn't it? The Father is here shepherding my life. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He's hedged me about with his life. A shepherd has a rod and a staff. Well, you know how the Father shepherds us? He shepherds us with his life with his Holy Spirit. He pours out his life onto us so that he can seal us and hedge us about in his life. And then we see him there clothing us, right? Abundance is born from that. If you read Psalm 22 and Psalm 23, at the beginning of Psalm 22, it was not going good for that guy. It was not going good for Jesus. In fact, he's talking about what's happening to him. He's talking about all the hell. Well, who's he telling all the hell to? God. He's out with it. Do you know you only talk to somebody if you think they're there? 
One of the reasons why people don't talk to God more is because they struggle to see him there because they're trying to see him with their natural eyes instead of seeing him with their heart. How long will you kick against the prick? So he sees God there and he's nailed to a tree and he's telling God what's happening to him. And then he sees the father's face shining. And he sees the father's heart is pure towards him. And he sees the father hears him when he cries out for comfort. And then the whole thing shifts. The father is my shepherd. I do not lack. Right? So he cries out to the father with his heart. Intimacy. Intimacy with the Father, abundance came forth. I don't lack. He goes on to say, my cup runneth over. The only way you could say your cup runneth over in the middle of being nailed to a tree is if you see the Father there. And I talk about just telling God where you're at. Don't think, well, I'm supposed to know these things, and so I've got to act like I know them now, or I've got to act like I believe them now. If I say something to you that you think, that sounds stupid, that sounds crazy, I don't believe it, tell God that's how you feel. That's still intimacy. Invite God with you into your debates. When I first saw that was Jesus on the cross, I told God, how did he get that right? I don't understand. Guess what I have now? Understanding. Do you know why I have understanding? Because I told him that don't make no sense to me. I didn't keep it to myself. I didn't say, well, that should make sense to me. And so I'm just going to be a good little Christian. And I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm going to pretend like it makes sense to me. After all, the leaders around me, they don't want to hear my questions anymore because I'm wearing them out with them. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You can't wear God out. I'm a, I have immortality. I have the spirit of life, but don't be confused. I have a mortal body now. I'm just a man. I have weaknesses. If you can wear me out, don't confuse that for being able to wear the Lord out. I feel so sad every time people want to judge people or ministers by whether or not they're able to be God. I can't be your God. I can't be all things that you need. I can't get it right for you. I want you to have life. I love your life. But I, no matter how much I love your life, I can't be God. And we have a body of Christ that we see the leaders and we see how weak they are. And we see how, how short they fall. And then we want to judge Christianity and judge God by how short these people fall. I mean, I cannot be anything that you need. But you know what I can do? I can point you over and over to the one who has what you need. And I speak from experience. You know, my mom got up here last week and preached a powerful message. You know why she preached a powerful message? Because nobody can deny what's going on in her life. And no one can deny that they see life in this woman that was given a death sentence. That says something. You know what it does? It declares God. You know what people saw? People don't even know what they saw when my mom preached. They saw God. Thank you. They saw God. How could this woman who's gotten this death sentence from cancer, how could she be standing there and saying those things? How can she whip her wig off? How can she be filled with hope? How can she even say those things? You know, God. 
And that's why we're filled with hope when we saw her preach. That's why we felt, yes, that's why we don't know why, but we walk out feeling strong because we saw God in her. And if God is in her and God can do that in her, it gives us a certainty God's here with us in our midst and he can do the same thing in us. So I can point you to the God that does have everything you need. But I can't be everything you need. And if, you, if some minister has failed you, if some preacher has failed you, if somebody who, was a, who said they were a Christian failed you, listen, on behalf of all of us, I'm sorry. I am. I am sorry that you were hurt. But I hope you repent from thinking that they could give you what you need. And I hope you realize they're just like you, needing God. And if we could all come together and realize we all need God, we might start pointing each other to God instead of looking to each other to be God. And then we might find ourselves experiencing God and seeing Him there. Right? I'm trying to think. Did y'all get something? Should I keep going or should I cut it off? You think I think you got a lot to chew on? I'll, I'll pick up the rest the next time I preach maybe. And uh, we'll let you guys chew on that. I got so much more, but I went off onto some tangents. And I, normally what happens now, since you guys know, I need like two hours to preach because it takes me like 15 minutes to not stop talking about whatever that does it, you know, rambling. Um, but then I get halfway through and I realize, oh my gosh. And then I start just trying to read my notes so I can hurry up and get through it for the sake of these people's rear ends. These people that love me, Lord, <laughs> you know, I want to have mercy on them. And it's Linda, dear Linda's birthday. We want to let her get on. I know there's a whole lot of people in your life that want to celebrate you. And man, Linda, we celebrate you. I don't think you know how much you, you bring to all of us, your life, your presence with us all. It does so much when you walk into the room. You're such a great blessing in all of our lives. We just love you so much. I hope you know that. I hope you know that it isn't just God celebrating you and dancing over your life, but all of us do. And uh, man, we just feel a ray of sunshine every time we see you. So thank you so much. Glory to God. Glory to God. Um, thank you, Father. Lord, I, I just thank you that you desire to be seen, that you desire for us to see you. Lord, you could see into everyone's heart. You could see the affliction. You could see whatever's tormenting them. Lord, I just thank you that uh, whether they see you or not, there you are, that you're there in their midst with them, that your hand is open that your hand is stretched forth towards them, that you're there to serve them with the comfort they need. I just thank you, Father, that they hear your voice.
that they see your hand stretched forth to them, that you plop open their eyes, Father. I just thank you that your Holy Spirit is right there now declaring you to them and that their blindness be healed, Lord, that they see your goodness towards them, that they see your love towards them, and that they just find their, eye, their hearts crying out to you. They find their hearts looking to you for comfort. Thank you, Father, that you show yourself to them like show and tell, and that their flesh be put to rest in your presence, and they find themselves comforted with the presence of you, with the presence of your life. Thank you, Father, that this is your will, that you said if we pray anything in your name, in the name of Jesus, Lord, praying in the name of Jesus is praying in the name of your heart for us, praying in the name that you are Father, that you are with us, Father. In your name, I just pray that their eyes be open, that they see you as the lover of their lives, that they see you having everything they need and that you're there to give it to them freely, that you're not asking for anything from them. You just want to show yourself to them. Father, into your hands, we commit our desire for life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Y'all are awesome. Have a good day.